Hello everybody, this is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna. Welcome to this week's session of Color Can Heal Your Life. And in this go-round, I want to talk about some pretty basic foundational issues of living. I want to talk about the body and our physical body and our relationship to our environment. You know, one of the things that I talk about within the seven systems of health is what I call the root. And the root is that part of us that brings in so much of our physical self. It is how we survive in the world. So if we have a general sense that we can survive okay, that we have a roof over our heads, that we've got money that we can count on in case of an emergency. You know, I remember growing up, my dad always saying, Make sure you have a base. You know, that was like his thing. He was really survival focused and wanted to be sure that his kids were survival focused. And I think that for me, put me in a little bit of this hypervigilant state around providing for myself in the physical sense and gave me some alerts. And I think some of those things are good. And I think that sometimes it can be too hypervigilant, right? We're all of a sudden we're on adrenal overdrive because we're over concerned with money, we're over concerned with shelter, we're over concerned with putting food on the table. And so there there's so many things to be thinking about in that respect and I know that you know our relationship to our environment sets the stage for our foundation of living. And in fact, uh, on, on my Facebook page, I had posted this quote from Albert Einstein, which was, you're going to love this one, right? It, it was sent to me by, by somebody else, and I think it really is an important question to consider. And essentially, the, the quote from Einstein was that one of the most, most basic questions of life is whether we believe we live in a friendly or a hostile universe, so I'll repeat the exact quote again. The most important decision we make in, is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. So what does that mean? Well, if we believe in a friendly universe that maybe everything is happening for a reason or we can overcome something, we can move past this, that, you know, let's just go with the flow. Even if we don't have that kind of happyology framework where we're over-optimistic, I think that there's still a way to consider the universe as friendly. Kind of like, okay, it's not the end of the world to have this happen. A hostile universe would be, you know, everything is out to get you. It's almost like we take on that kind of victim-like attitude where it's me against everybody else. And that feels like a huge burden to bear. And when we take on that huge burden of where everything in the environment becomes a foe rather than a friend, it's almost like this trickles on into our physiology and we start to see more inflammation. You know, what is the root? It's, it's 
the color red it's it's how we react i mean it's like a stop sign and so when we believe in hostility and that everything is is hostile around us and about to invade us and is against us and being suspicious and skeptical and not having that sense of trust it sets the stage for that sense of distrust and mistrust on the inside and we may even start to have issues with inflammation issues with our immune system you know not always there's not always that that psychological and physiological interplay but often there is and in fact I also posted on my Facebook page another study this one was published in 2010 in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine where it was looking at people with optimism and pessimism and associating different biological markers of inflammation and essentially what they showed in the study was that pessimism was related to higher levels of inflammation higher things like HSCRP, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, things like fibrinogen, things that make our blood clot. You know, I think of the phrase when our, our blood is boiling, it's like this sense of anger, congestion, coagulation, stagnation, and all of those things just build up blocks, blocks within. It's almost like all the blocks that we see on the outside can ripple on through to really create these blocks on the inside. And so I think that our outlook on life sets the template for how we live. And if we are geared towards survival, and much like my dad, you know, everything is focused on the base, having your foundation, and making sure that it stays in place, you know, then everything becomes tethered to that, and then that becomes our sense of security. You know, and um, I'm, I'm teaching a course right now, and we're exploring a lot of these topics, so it's very top of mind for me to be talking with you about them. And I, I feel like we need broader discussions on this. It's kind of like the, the connection between how we live and how we eat. And so then I start to think about, okay, if we think that everything on the outside is an invader and out to get us, then what do we think about food? What do we think about nutrition? Are we overly mistrusting of the foods that we're eating? You know, one thing I see a lot of is why is it that in nutrition we have so much in the way of negative messaging that gets attention? You know, it's almost like when you on Facebook, if you put a post up that is about something negative with food or food industry or, you know, just something bashing somebody, it's almost like that travels so fast versus when you have a message about eating more colorful foods and more fruits and vegetables it's like yeah so what <laughs> you know and it's, it's an interesting dynamic how many of us I mean we're wired for the stress response and so I'm encouraging us to look at how that stress response ripples into our relationship with food and eating you know, some of the questions that I ask people within the Rainbow Diet book that I wrote and just came out with earlier this year is to look at the sense of security that we have with food. What is the the sense of security that we have? You know, I can recall, I'm just going to give you some examples here. Um, two two particular instances one was I remember having a client some years ago who just didn't feel secure unless her pantry at at home was stocked with food it's almost like you know she felt like this sense of unrest 
or this sense of where she couldn't be present in her body and focused unless she had enough food. And she was always thinking in emergency situations like, well, what if? What if there was a hurricane or what if there was this natural disaster and and how would I survive? And not that I'm saying anything about having that because I think that that's important, but when that encompasses your universe to the point that it's changing your physiology, it's making you more inflamed, it's keeping you hypervigilant and on edge, that's where it can be problematic. So rather than us living within a comfortable root and, and set foundation and a good interaction, a nourishing one with our environment, we begin to be on edge, literally on edge. There's another client I had some years ago who is very interesting uh, because sometimes I have the opportunity to meet people that I'm working with in a more therapeutic way. And looking at how he was so, <laughs> so into food security in the way of every time he would go out to eat at a restaurant, he would take everything that was on that table that was presented to him. So like, you know, like the little creamers and the little packages of sugar and the little packages of butter, little packages of jelly. Uh, and even bread that wasn't eaten within the bread basket that was presented, taking these things with and, and making sure to get one's money's worth. And again, I, I, I'm all about, you know, making sure that we get the most for our money and, and being nutrient dense. But there's a point of where, again, um, this over fixation on security and having security with with food and, and making sure that we have enough. You know, I often wonder, this is a postulation of, I look at protein, and I also talk about this in the Rainbow Diet. It's so curious to me how so many people are fixated on protein. And in fact, all these different dietary trends and in the media, we hear more and more about protein. Did you get enough protein? People are really focused on protein. It's almost like protein is the root when it comes to eating, it is the foundation of our being. I mean, most of us are, goodness, comprised of this this protein layer of the skin. We have a lot of protein that form that forms our structure, and so it's interesting to me on a societal level how much preoccupation we have with something like protein and making sure that we have enough. You know, the energetics of protein, being stable, being solid, being grounded. You know, you add a little bit of protein to a high sugar meal and you blunt that glycemic index. It's almost like it's it's very stabilizing. So I have put that question out there before postulating in times of instability, are we reaching for more in the way of high protein? And do we find high protein diets fascinating because perhaps we're trying to stabilize something from within. And having more protein gives us that sense of assurity, for lack of a better way to say it. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like all those different elements of being grounded and stabilized and supported. Sometimes we may look on the outside for those things, which is why things like community is important. You know, community is very important for ensuring our our survival. In fact, you you look at the Blue Zones by Dan Buettner or a lot of the work on longevity. Uh, I just watched a TED Talk on this not too long ago talking about how one of the number one things that is so essential for our survival and long-term robust survival, not just 
living longer, but living well into our longer aged years is social integration. How well we mesh with the rest of our community and have support around us in that way. And that's one of the barriers I see to people really getting well is when they don't have proper support and community around them. It's almost like they have all these ideas of what they want to do. However, they don't have anybody that can keep them accountable or anybody that they can kind of lean on and say, you know what, I just need your help on this. It's been challenging for me to change my diet. I need your help. So what do you do? You know, I'm talking about a lot of these root, what I call the root-based issues. And again, if you're curious, I would definitely say to get the Rainbow Diet book and read the red root chapter. It's chapter five. And I go into the root and your body. You know, what are the body parts that connect into this? The sense of identity, immunity, looking at inflammation, looking at the stress response, looking at adrenals, looking at protein, and then how does the root tie into your eating relationship? What are the higher questions to ask? And then what are the foods that address those body systems along with some supplements? So I'll give you some takeaways. I'll just give you some three activities that I think would be nourishing for most people that struggle with a lot of these root issues. And by the way, I am one of those people. I, I do think when I look back, it's hard not to be one of those people. They're, these people are not out there. They are us. And I've rarely met anybody who did not have a root issue, quite honestly. In fact, I was just looking at the research on epigenetics and the epigenetics of famine. And most of us have come from a family lineage which had some degree of stress or starvation that was connected into our ancestry. And as we well know from animal studies, that there is this transgenerational, this transfer that goes beyond just one generation, right? So if we had ancestors from two generations ago that were subject to starvation and famine, we would still feel the effects of that. We would still have the epigenetic marks of that. And so, in fact, I was looking at some of the literature on famine and nutrition and even there were some postulations that perhaps the overnutrition that we now see in the 21st century and some of the inclinations of trends towards metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes might actually be connected in to what has happened in the past. And so through our genes, through our DNA, seeing these epigenetic shifts that may only indirectly have something to do with us, but now they're directly influencing our lives because it's part of our our DNA. So kind of interesting, huh? <laughs> Lots of things to consider here. And again, um, I think all of us have some issues to reconcile within our, our root, uh, whether they are more minor, like the day-to-day stress response of living, or they're more major, where we've got certain uh, issues about being grounded. Uh, and, you know, I just look at so many people that, that struggle even on the planet um, with homelessness, with the sense of not feeling cared for, nurtured for, and not even having access to healthy, good quality food. 
And so these are large issues. These are large global issues, and they're also felt on an individual basis. So where do we start? Where do we start for the healing of our root? So you know me. I like the number three, and I, I always like to kind of close with uh, three takeaways. One thing that I think can help us with our sense of our root or the sense of our physical foundation and our everyday life is, number one, practice in as much as you can seeing the universe as friendly. And that's a real frame shifter. That's not something that's going to happen overnight. However, maybe it's one thought. You know, maybe something happens to you where somebody says something and that phrase can be taken in multiple ways. It's so interesting how there's such a huge context. You know, there there can be one phrase that's said and we could embed it into multiple different contexts and get a completely different physiological response from it. So try it out. Try to, even if you're already somebody who sees the universe as friendly, maybe take a thought of yours where it doesn't feel as friendly, and I'm sure we all have these. <laughs> we're, we're human, and so try to, to try to reverse it. Try to see it from the other side. Try to put it in the best light possible and give benefit of the doubt to the person that maybe said something to you. You know, my husband's so good with this. He's, he's so good about trusting un, until he has a reason to not trust. And so it's almost like, um, you know, not asking for blind trust. However, knowing that if we have a mental disposition that sees the universe and our day-to-day is friendly, that it benefits us, then we might be more inclined to do it. So that's number one. Practice having thoughts that you're living in a friendly universe. Practice having thoughts that you're living in a friendly universe and see how that feels. I mean, I just did it this morning. I just had a situation where I practiced this one thing and I realized like, wow, I'm so supercharged about something sometimes and maybe I don't need to be. Maybe I don't have to be a super. You know, it's always amazing to me when people will come to me and they'll say, Deanna, did, uh, are you okay with, with what I just said or... Um, you know, that, that phrase that I just said to that person, do you think that they read that wrong? It's almost like they become their worst enemy and start to go down the rabbit hole of not trusting themselves and even creating hostility in their own environment without even connecting that on the outside with anything. It's like we just imagine it. And, you know, I, I, I really do feel like comparison sometimes. Comparison is the the bane of... Uh, one of the banes of really living within that friendly universe, you know, having, you know, feeling good with ourselves, but then somebody else comes along and we see that they might have more of something, better looks, better brain, better material possessions, whatever it is, whatever we're after. And it's kind of like, then we start to judge and we then move ourselves from that friendly universe into a hostile universe. So I feel like it's a constant dynamic tension and moving target. I don't think any of us has it all the time all together. There's always room to practice that muscle of feeling that you live in a friendly universe. Number two, I'm going to talk about community a bit here because our community is the larger micro macrocosm of who we are in the microcosm. And so if we are living in an isolated way, 
and not by choice. You know, some of us like a little bit of isolation. I know for myself, I need a lot of quiet time. I need some solitary time. And I don't see that as a downside. <laughs> I kind of see it as an upside. If I was around people all the time, that would be a downside to me because that's just not always nourishing. And so what I want you to do is find a good balance. You know, I think that there's so much push out there about finding community. And it's not just any community. It's got to be the community that feels good for you. When, when you walk away from something and you have more depletion than you have a feeling of being energized, then that should look have you look under the hood a little bit more of the community that you're interacting with. So in as much as you can, find a community that really uplifts and nourishes you and supports you to the core. You know, whether that's family members, it might be a book club, it might be an online Facebook group, you know, whatever it is, find the community that really, you know, connects to your core. They get you. They support you. And when you walk away from them, you feel energized. Have you ever been to a party where you go and you're there in like 10 minutes, you already feel drained. It's kind of like, what am I doing here? You know, that would not be a supportive community, even though you're in community. And sometimes it's better to be away from that community or a community if you don't feel like you're getting the support. So consider that as number two. Find the balance of community. Don't just find any old community, but find one that works for you and feels cozy, feels warm. And you know, I'm I'll admit it, I'm super picky about my sense of community and who I bring close into my circle. Um, It's just, it's so important to have that sense of trust, that sense of safety, that sense of camaraderie, that sense of being on the same wavelength. And so it's, um, there's no great recipe for that. I think it's a lot of trial and error. And oftentimes our passions will lead us in that direction. So you know, having an interest in yoga, as an example, has brought me into certain tribes and communities that I feel really nourished by. But it was my, my inclination towards yoga first that got me into those communities. It wasn't me just randomly searching for communities. So if you're having an issue finding that, connect into what you love and go from there. All right, I'm going to uh, give you something written want to change it up a little bit and this is fun especially because when we talk about the root we're talking about the body and so many of us have a lot of trauma with our bodies we disregard our bodies I know some spiritual people some very religious and spiritual people who just have you know just no regard or see the body as less than and you know the body I do think I mean it's our vehicle it's it's a temple it can be sacred it can be spiritual and I I do think that there's a way to make the practical spiritual and the spiritual practical and so what I'm thinking here is to find a, a part of you that you feel is a safe place so I'm talking about like a physical body part so what does that mean, find a safe place? Well, for I'll give you an example. Like for me, if I ever have to check in on something and I have to kind of go deep within to ask some, some questions and get my body's take on it, more of an intuitive, instinctual take, I go to this place in my gut and I put my attention there. I close my eyes, I put my attention there and I ask myself the question that I'm wrestling with and I go deep within and I wait for a sensation. How does my body feel 
with that question or with this situation. And the body is so, I mean, gosh, you know, even the skin is loaded with cortisol receptors. I mean, we are always sensing and taking in things from the environment. Our body is the sum of our experience. The body is wise. It's knowledgeable. It, it contains information that is so important for you. So many times that what I see happening, especially in the health space, is when people want to know about something for themselves, they go and start reading online, start Googling everything. They start getting lots of books. They start talking to people on the outside. They connect to all these different chat forums and social media groups and all of that. And one of the things that they miss out in that bigger picture is asking their own bodies and forming that place of trust within your body. So sometimes I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll just devote a day out of the week to getting a massage or sometimes a, like a foot massage even. You know, for so many years I've neglected my feet and now it's payback time. <laughs> so, and that's the part of me that connects to the earth. That's the part of me that's grounded. So, Honor your body. Honor your body's messages. A uh, quick exercise with pen and paper would be to draw your body. You know, I did this in a workshop once with a bunch of people, and I said, okay, I want you to draw your body. And for some people, it wasn't the shape of their bodies. It was maybe a flower, or it was a heart, or there was some other image that connected to them and their body. So draw your body. You know, connect to your body. Listen to your body. And Practice going into a safe place that you have. I mean, everybody has these safe places, and we have multiple safe places. You know, sometimes I'll ask my throat if I really need to say this, or I'll go into my heart. What do I really feel about this person? So your body is your biggest healer. It's your biggest messenger. It's the biggest gift. And all too often, we are neglecting it and turning away from what it's constantly in the moment revealing to us. So there you have it. <laughs> Three energizing activities, healing activities for your root system of health. And again, if you want to read more about the root, I would say get my Rainbow Diet book. I also have uh, another book called Whole Detox where you'll go deeper into the root. And I'm super excited to be diving in deep to each of these systems. They're so rich with so many layers of discovery and exploration. So see how that feels. Let me know what you think. And uh, stay tuned. Stay connected with me through my Facebook page or email me. You can do that through info at foodandspirit.com. I'd love to hear from you and to hear how some of these activities are working out for you. So with that, thanks so much and have a great rest of your week. Make it super rooty. <laughs>